0: Society 13 Podcast Network, redefining
1: podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hi, this is Tawny Plattis of the Dirty Bits Podcast, where I very casually retell all of the scandalous and salacious stories from history your teacher probably left out. And you're listening to History Goes Bump.
0: Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 232nd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast.
1: Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On this episode, we're
0: going to Utah and we are going to be featuring the Salt Air Resort. We'll be joined by our listener, Anjanette Beth. And her son is going to make a little cameo as well. He's one of our nine-year-old listeners, Jared. So we're looking forward to sharing our little discussion we had with him. Yes, we are. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Steve.
1: Hello, Steve. Jackie Ann. Hey, Jackie Ann. Jess. Hey, Jess. And Yvonne. Hello, Yvonne. And now, this moment in oddity.
0: The moment in oddity was suggested by listener Anjanette Bath. There are many tales told in the Utah Valley about Pauwapix, which are also called water babies. The stories about these creatures originated with the Ute tribe. They believe the Pauwapix came in various shapes and sizes. Some were described as being the size of a man's hand, the size of a three or four year old child, or the size and shape of a full grown woman. Pauwapix had long black hair, were found near water, and they cried like babies, which is where the term water babies comes from. The tales of their origins are as varied as their shapes and sizes. One account claims that Pawapix came into existence as the result of a wrestling match between Pahapooch, a man, and Wildcat. Pawapooch had never lost a match. The two opponents met near a large expanse of water. Wildcat managed to throw Pawapooch into the middle of the lake and said, you will stay in the water all the time now and people will call you Water Indian. Eventually Pawapooch convinced other tribal members to come into the water and become water Indians like him. Then they all would lure more people into the water. A Ute named Red Sunrise had a friend who did not believe in water babies. The two men went fishing in the Utah Valley. They came upon some water babies drying their hair on a flat rock. They were crying like babies and the friend became a believer. The men went nearer to get a closer look. The water babies saw them and jumped into the river. Their long hair floated on top of the water, and then the river started to rise and come nearer to the men. Luckily, the two ran away before the water pulled them in, and Red Sunrise never saw a water baby again. If water babies are not just a legend, they certainly are odd.
2: Turn out the lights. The party's just getting started.
0: And now, This Month in History.
1: In the month of November on the 3rd in 1839, the first opium war between China and Britain began after British frigates blew up several Chinese junks. In the 1830s, China had an isolationist trade policy that created a trade imbalance with Britain and America. British and American merchants decided to fire back by importing the one product that the Chinese did not themselves have, but which many of them wanted, opium. Soon, 90% of all Chinese males under the age of 40 were smoking opium. China decided that it needed to suppress the opium trade. The Chinese government confiscated and destroyed more than 20,000 chests of opium, which angered the British side. Some drunken British sailors killed a Chinese villager in retaliation. The British government would not hand the men over to the Chinese for punishment. British frigates blew up a Chinese blockade and started the First Opium War, which lasted for two years. It ended with the Treaty of Nanking in 1842. Along the shores of the Great Salt Lake in Utah stands the Saltaire Resort. The resort has three separate incarnations and seems to have been plagued with a curse of sorts because the first two Saltaire resorts were destroyed by fire and the third has suffered flooding. This originally was a family place for fun similar in style to Coney Island with carnival rides and games and today is a place that hosts concerts and other events. Historic events were hosted here and famous people visited. Tragedy has been part of the story, and this seems to have led to spirits. While the first two locations are abandoned, they still seem to host spirits, and according to guests and employees, the third version of the Salter is quite haunted. Our listener, Anjanette Beth, suggested this location and helped with the research. She joins us to share the history and hauntings of the Saltaire Resort.
0: Well, we are joined by our listener, Anjanette Beth, and she suggested to us a location in Utah, in Salt Lake City, called Saltair Resort. And the pictures that you sent, Angie, are so cool. I just love the looks of this place. How are you?
3: I'm doing well. How about you?
0: We're doing great. Angie, what we always love to ask people when they come on with us, since you obviously listen to the show, what got you interested in the paranormal?
3: there's a couple of different things that come into play. One of it's that I love stories in general. I love the things that we can learn from them, whether it's fictional or real. And some of the first stories that I ever heard about my own family, some people might call paranormal. My mom actually saw me in a vision before I was born. She's seen, my, she's seen some family members after they've passed away. In fact, after I was born, I, I was born about six weeks early. And in that Day and age, it was not likely for a child born six weeks early to survive. And she prayed with all her heart that I would survive. And and the next thing she knows, she feels like she's getting a hug uh, from someone telling her that it's going to be okay. Uh, She came to the conclusion later that that was my uncle that had passed away.
0: Oh, wow. That's cool.
3: And then just me loving to read and write fantasy, I came to your podcast looking for some inspiration of the darker variety. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we definitely provide it. So have you had any experiences of your own?
3: Uh, I think I felt the presence of those who passed on. I smelled the cigarette smoke of one of my friends. I mean, I did have that he- really heavy feeling that we talked about or that you quoted me earlier at the Portland and Smith factory in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. That is, It was the most oppressive feeling I've ever had in my life. Um, but more recently, I was at a long-term care facility that my mom has been staying at. And I was in a, a portion of the building where most of the patients don't end up leaving of in good circumstances.
0: <laughs> sure. Okay.
3: And um, there were two weeks in a row, I had this strong impression while I'm sitting out in the hallway that I saw someone looking at me from across the hall, and I look up, and I don't see anything but furniture, but in my mind's eye, I saw an older man that was thin, uh, graying. I'm pretty sure he had a mustache, and I just got the strong impression he was annoyed with me, and for all I know, it was because I was on my iPod (laughs) (laughs) and not doing things that he probably thought were appropriate. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Well, that's very Yeah, I
3: don't think I have anything more than that. Uh, I mean, I do get strong impressions of even the emotions of the living from sometimes yards away. I can feel what is going on with someone. I don't know what other word to put it other than vibe. I, I kind of feel the vibes of the emotions around me. And even places can take on those vibes if they are strong enough in one direction for long enough.
0: Sure. Do you live in Salt Lake City right now?
3: I live in one of the suburbs. And how long have you uh, been there? Most of my life. I, I've spent most of my life in the southwest part of the Salt Lake Valley. Spent a couple of years out in Corona, California as well.
0: Well, I know you know quite a bit about the uh, Great Salt Lake. Would you share with the listeners a little bit about it?
3: sure. I know there were Native Americans that lived in the area before the uh, Mormon pioneers came in. They were being persecuted for their religion, and they traveled across the West trying to find a safe haven. And when they got to the Great Salt Lake, that's where they decided to settle. I understand it was even Brigham Young, who was the prophet of the LDS church, the leader. He was one of the first people to come and take a dip in the Great Salt Lake, or at least to put a toe in there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. And have all the brine shrimp go around it.
3: Oh, yeah. Lots and lots of brine shrimp in the Salt Lake itself. It has five to six times the amount of salt as as the ocean. I think it's only, if I remember right from my notes, it was only second to the Dead Sea in how much salt there is in it.
1: It was always, we used to go down to the Great Salt Lake from time to time since I grew up in Salt Lake City and we'd go down there and my mom would never ever, I always wanted to order those little sea monkeys in the magazines and like in comic (laughs) books and she would never let me get them and so, you know, we went down and she was there, go catch your own sea monkeys and I'm like, what? I didn't realize they were just brine shrimp, so, but I would, I'd catch them and take them home.
3: Yeah. What do you think about the the landscape there? I kind of have mixed feelings about it myself.
1: I don't remember as much of the landscape right around the Great Salt Lake. I just remember being in it and how you were kind of buoyant. I've also been in the Dead Sea, so definitely more buoyant in the Dead Sea. But I just remember that you just kind of bobbed in the um, Great Salt Lake because of all the salt there.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. It's a little strange when you first get there because first you see lots of scrub brush when you're there, but then you hit this spot where there's really soft sand. It kind of reminds me of California beaches when I, I first get to the sand area. But pretty soon you get to the salt flats, and it sounds like you're walking on on um, like ice, and you can hear it crack underneath your feet as you're as you're walking along. And then you get to the mud flats, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's really, it's muddy, it's flat, and there's just mounds of, of the the husks of the brine shrimp in, in lines where the, the water levels were. It, it's just amazing. And then Jared, my son, he was just fascinated by how the brine shrimp move as he takes steps. It's a little bit eerie, but also very beautiful at the same time.
1: Yeah, that, that part I remember, just the, the density of all the brine shrimp.
0: Well, my only experience with the Great Salt Lake is seeing it from the air. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we'll, we'll bonify you make you official here Okay. for once <laughs> Diane's looking at me like huh I don't know what to say <laughs> <laughs> she's taking over the show yay so there is the salter. so what do you know about that and where was that located
3: it's kind of a Question because there's two locations. You've got the historic saltaire, which is about I think it's about two to three miles east of the current saltair. If you're going along the the 201 from Salt Lake, kind of near where the airport is, and going towards where we call Lake Point, it's sort of half part it's about a third of the way through. It's really close to Magna, Utah, but I don't think it's part of any actual city. Yeah. So if you go to the the current saltair, that's where you can actually see a building currently they they host lots of concerts and raves there and, and people will come there for for tourist attraction they've got a little gift shop and such but there's not a whole lot to really do there you're not coming for a big event. It's still a nice little place to go if you want to maybe bring a picnic with you. Really, you can walk quite a ways to the waterline. And then uh, if you want to dip your toe in, which you're a little braver than I am. (laughs) (laughs) I have not done that yet. It's a very interesting experience. You find pieces of wood have just been beat up by the elements. You can find partial skeletons of birds that have died there. But if you go about the two mile two, three miles east, like I was saying, you can see the pylons of where it's- the old Saltair used to be. There, you can see where the, the train tracks used to run up to it, and there's not much left. There's big chunks of cement, there's pieces of iron that are left over, but uh, most of it is gone. As far as the, the history of it, the original Saltair was built partially as a way of showing the, the country that we were willing to be a part of the country, that we're not just the outsiders. And it was built kind of to rival Coney Island.
0: Well, I know when I saw the pictures that you sent me, the ones from in the past, the black and white ones that look so cool, that's exactly what I thought of was Coney Island.
3: Yeah, I've I've heard it called the Coney Island of the West. It had quite a large promenade, a huge ballroom. They had a hippodrome. They had lots of bathhouses, a carousel. There was also a roller coaster. Uh, they had lots of vaudeville acts there. I thought it was amazing that they had a bullfight there. They had a flying ballet, they called it. Uh, they had a train going to and from. You just had to wait about, I think it was about 20 minutes between train rides, and it cost you less than $2 to go there, and then you could rent a swimming suit and Go play in the water, eat some food at either the uh, like a corn dog stand, or you could go to another one called the Leviathan, which is a big restaurant, three levels tall. The bottom level was kitchens. The middle level was so large they had two bands, one on either end of it, and then you could walk kind of on this. They had a walkway up on the top level that so you could just go see the sights and enjoy the scenery.
0: The first Saltaire was completed in 1893 on the southern shores of the Great Salt Lake. The leaders of the LDS Church built the resort along with the Salt Lake and Los Angeles Railway with the intent of creating a wholesome getaway for families, friends, and couples to go for entertainment. The structure was designed by architect Richard K.A. Cletting, and it had a Moorish styling with onion-shaped turrets and was placed atop 2,000 posts and pilings. Signs challenged visitors to try to sink. The high salt content made people float like a cork in the lake, and so it was a pretty good challenge. The Saltaire was one of the first amusement parks in America and soon became the most popular family destination west of New York. That's pretty amazing.
1: Very amazing. That's really cool. The
0: Saltaire expanded in 1905 with the building of the Ship Cafe. It was 200 feet long, 90 feet wide, and 70 feet tall. The lower floor held the kitchen, the second floor was for dining, and there was a promenade on the top floor.
1: This was a place for fun, but as is the case with these types of places, tragic events, accidents, and deaths do occur. The first fatality occurred in 1896 when Charles Monica suffered a heart attack and died while swimming in the lake. With the spotlight on this location, it was the perfect place to host a popular boxing match between Pete Sullivan and Cyclone Johnny Thompson in 1910.
3: There was a boxing match that had so many people there that when they all left to exit at the same time, the stairs and the floor actually gave way and quite a few people fell into the water. It was a pretty big event.
0: Yeah, that's definitely not a good way to uh, spend your vacation.
3: <laughs> definitely not.
1: <laughs> Hundreds of people fell into the lake. Dozens were injured, seven of them seriously, but no one died. Freakishly high winds destroyed 327 of the bathhouses and tore up 100 yards of railroad trestle. The following year, in 1911, a bullfight was held. Several bullfighting experts were brought in from Spain and Mexico for the event, and the matadors used wooden swords and spears. Four of the men were gored by the bull, and it was declared the winner. The
0: first fire at Saltaire occurred in 1916 and was caused by hot coal spilling from the steam engine. The resort repaired the damage and started looking into electric trains to replace the steam ones. A second fire hit on April 22, 1925 in the Alibaba Cave Concession. The fire spread to the other buildings and burned the Leviathan to the waterline. Most of the pavilion was destroyed. The Midway, several bathhouses, and some of the railway line were also affected. In all, the cost of the damage was $750,000 because of the cost of the damage and competition from Lagoon, which was a resort that was a few miles to the north, there was no real backing to implement a rebuild at the location. This was the end of what is known as historic Saltaire.
1: New investors decided to build a bigger and better Lakeshore resort with a larger dance floor at the same location. This dance floor brought big-name bands in that included Glenn Miller and his band. Saltaire II opened on May 29, 1926. Not only was the dance floor better, but the swimming was as well. A permanent dike had been built, along with spillways and waterways that brought water to the swimmers. Even diving mules were brought in to attract visitors. During the 1920s, half a million visitors came to the resort each year. Even with these crowds, the depression and other new entertainment avenues like motion pictures took their toll on the success of Saltaire. It struggled to keep operating. Then in July of 1931, Salter caught fire again, this time in the Funhouse area. Seven different amusement areas caught fire. A gust of wind pushed the fire to the Great Racer roller coaster. Ten lines from two water pumps were needed to put the fire out. This time, the damage cost $100,000. Workmen were repairing the roller coaster the following year when a 70-mile-an-hour wind blew down the scaffolding. Planks of wood that were 20 feet long were blown more than 100 feet from their location. Many of the workers fell into the lake and two of the men died in the accident. In the 1930s, multiple sewage companies contaminated the lake, especially near the shore of Saltaire. Adding further to its troubles, the water levels dropped significantly in 1933, creating a longer walk to the shoreline. By the beginning of World War II, the resort was closed to visitors.
0: The resort reopened after the war, but struggled further. Another fire broke out in 1957, starting in the boiler room. Denise, I'm thinking fire and this resort do not mix.
1: No, it's crazy because I guess Colorado and Utah are kind of near the desert, especially in some parts, but that is just crazy. That's one resort is just like, Boom, 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 fire, fire, fire.
0: Yeah, I mean, I understand this is the early 1900s and we're coming into the 50s here. So maybe building standards weren't what they are today. Obviously, they weren't. But still, I've never seen so many fires in one place. Does make you wonder if there wasn't some kind of curse going on. It's like, what did they build on top of over here? It's weird, though, because the Great Salt Lake is right there. So you wouldn't think that there would have been anything of any real significance there before. So you have this fire that broke out in 1957 that same year on August 30th. The remains of the roller coaster was blown down by 70 mile per hour winds. Thankfully, nobody was riding it at the time. This was devastating for the resort because it was the biggest attraction that they still had. The doors closed again and were only opened occasionally for performances and special events.
3: Then that one ended up being abandoned for some time. And that's where Carnival of Souls was filmed after it had been beat up a bit and, and abandoned. I understand that that's quite a popular film. I'm, I'm wondering if you ladies have ever seen it.
0: I have not, but I definitely have heard of it. And Denise, definitely no, because she just does not do horror movies. So that one she definitely wouldn't my, watch.
3: It's not my thing either. <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah, I know people who've seen it and have loved it.
0: The director of that movie, Herc Harvey, claimed that the, quote, place was so scary that he felt as though the ghosts of the place that had been partying there had just left for the night. So he definitely felt like the place was haunted. The book Lost Landscapes, Utah's Ghosts, Mysterious Creatures and Aliens claims that orbs and ectomists were caught during the filming process of Carnival of Souls.
3: So that one ended up burning down. We don't know if it was because of vagrants or maybe someone was doing something there that they shouldn't have been. But uh, eventually, after that burned down, it took quite some time before they built the new Saltaire, which I think was built in the 80s. And shortly after that was built, it flooded.
0: So <laughs> they- what you're telling us is that the Saltaire Resort, there's been three incarnations of it and all three of them have had some kind of disaster.
3: Yeah. Exactly.
0: No wonder you refer to it as cursed.
3: I'm not sure who started referring to it as cursed, but I'm guessing that it might have started with the second burning. Uh, they they had other things happen there, too. In 1888, they had a suicide. A man that went by Curly went just went off the, the train and started walking a little ways, and, and he took off his jacket and his hat and just jumped right in. And by the time they got to him, he was already dead.
0: Wow, so that already is making this uh, not a pleasant thing. Curly Wallace, so does anybody know his backstory at all, or they just knew his name? They
3: did talk about how he had had several jobs. Quite a few people knew him. It sounded like he uh, was a bouncer. I didn't get any idea about why he decided to end his life. I wish I knew. They just talked a little bit about what he was like as a person and just how sudden and unexpected it was that he jumped in.
0: Denise always tells people not to tempt the spirits, but apparently at Saltaire they don't listen to that kind of advice. And at the first one, they held some kind of a seance there.
3: Yes. I don't have any details, but when I saw that, of course, I immediately thought, don't tempt the spirits. Um, And according to my brother, when he visited the old Saltaire location, he and his friends went out for kind of a photo shoot. They're an artsy group of people, and so they brought costumes and things to change into, and and they took lots of photos out there, and this was before digital cameras. My brother said that there was no wind, and so he cannot count for what was going on. It was also dark enough that the, the bugs should have been asleep by then, and yet there were so many orbs that it practically ruined all his pictures. He did say that there were signs of satanic rituals there, and that there were some symbols that had been known for that purpose, that he saw graffiti out there uh, of that variety, and so he thought there might have been something more sinister going on there. Um, it, even in modern times, we, we've got, or uh, quite recently, there is a ghost investigation group that goes there fairly frequently. They have a medium in the group, and she has said that she spoke to a demon that is on the third floor of the current location. And that this demon has never been alive.
0: And this is it the uh, one that is standing today.
3: Correct. That is correct. And there are other spirits that have been seen there too. My, my son would like to share his experience with this demon or that he thinks he might have had. When my son and I were there, he thinks he might have seen some red eyes from the kitchen that they have on their main floor that might have been the demon. Hey. Hi, hey. how
0: are you? Good. We're so glad that you listened to the show. You really like it? Uh-huh. That's very cool. How old are you again? Nine. You know, we like to ask kids that we talk to. We talk a lot about spirits and ghosts and stuff on the show. Do you have any ideas of, about what you think a ghost is?
2: I think that a ghost is somebody that has passed away, or organism that science is impossible to explain. We like to try to figure out what has happened with those spirits and figure out why they are acting like that or looking like that, and that's what
1: I think ghosts are. Oh, wow, that's a great, great concept of what they are.
0: I, that's partly what I think is going on there, and like you said, it's so hard because scientists want us to have all of these things that we can measure to prove that they actually exist, and it's really hard to measure that. So your mom told us a story about when you were out at the Salter Resort. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it?
2: It was actually really weird, and well, it wasn't just weird. It was actually kind of fun to explore some somewhere that had ghosts. And when I when I actually saw those reflections, I actually figured out that it was actually just those were not actually eyes. It was just a reflection off a of Coca Cola. Vending machine, and yeah, it's
0: was, it was cool. Well, you know what? That happens to a lot of us. I'll think I see something, and I'll be like, whoa, what was that? And then you look at it closer, and you're like, oh, it's not what I thought it was. And that's really good that you do that. We call that debunking or trying to get to the bottom of something because people don't want to believe you when you tell them those stories. And so that's why you go in and you say, I'm going to look at this a little bit closer so that I can see if that's really what it was. So it's great that you did that and figured out, oh, no, it wasn't a couple of red eyes looking at me. It was just that darn Coke machine over there reflecting.
2: Yeah, and I actually did hear Debunk in one of your podcasts.
0: Well, I'm actually glad that it was just a Coke machine because I think if I ever saw something like what you thought you saw, I would be so scared I would pee my pants. Yeah, we
2: thankfully we uh, are brave enough
1: to not do that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, thankfully you're brave enough not to do that. Yeah, we always say that Miss Diane needs the pens which are like grown-up diapers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so is there anything else you wanted to tell us, Jared?
2: I do think that the way that the brine flies move is kind of weird, and it looks like there's just a wave of them when you just step about three inches away. And it's just really weird, and I think kind of cool, but also kind of... Isn't kind of normal? You know it's not. And what was this that you were talking about? The brine flies moving on the edge of the beach.
0: Okay, because well, I, I wasn't sure if you'd said butterflies or...
2: Brine flies.
0: Brine flies. What is a brine fly? I have no idea.
2: They're, they're basically just the only insect that can live near or on top of salt water that is that high of level of.
0: Oh, wow. Are they big or small?
2: They're super small.
0: Oh, they're super small. So you can barely see them?
2: Oh, uh, kind of. Yeah, they're about fruit fly size.
0: So you can see them pretty good. And so do you see them like when they're darting on the water? Is that how you know they're there?
2: You basically just see a whole bunch of black dots on the edge of wherever it is. And then if you step close to them, you can actually hear like them like pushing the wind back. Oh, hear, like,
0: cool. I'm not really into bugs. I hope they don't bite, do they? No. Oh, good.
1: Yeah, we'll have to get Diane down to the Great Salt Lake someday. She's never been there, but it's a pretty cool place, huh?
0: Mm-hmm. Have you ever stepped in the water? Yes, and
2: it was not comfortable.
0: Oh, it's not comfortable? Is it because it has all that salt in
1: it?
2: No, I just had a whole bunch of sand in my shoes. <laughs> <didn't
0: feel> <laughs> oh, well, that'll do it. You get sand in different places and it doesn't feel very good. I know that.
1: Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us.
3: We went and to talk to the employees there, to ask them about their ghostly experiences and to take some pictures. And there were no other employees there. So they were willing to give me a quick little tour of the place. We didn't go to the kitchen itself. We just kind of walked past it. Uh, But we were told of little boy spirit that likes to play ball in the men's bathroom. Hmm. Uh, We were also told about uh, the employee w- was in the women's bathroom cleaning and thought she heard someone banging bathroom stalls in the men's room, and she went to go check it out, didn't find anything, came back, heard it again, and eventually she realized that it sounded like footsteps above her. There's a walkway right across both, or the top of both the bathrooms, and she was sure that there was running up there, and there was no one else there. Hmm. Uh, they also said that they've heard complaints of children laughing during rape, that they go outside and check it out and there's no, there are no children.
0: That's really weird because raves are kind of loud, and the fact that yeah. they're hearing children. And oh, I know it. And obviously you wouldn't have children at a rave, so the, the possibility of it being kids that are just hiding somewhere is probably not real high.
3: Right. Uh, they mentioned an older lady that likes to wander on the beach. They also brought up a more recent spirit that has been put to rest since, but she was known by Saltair Sally for some time. Her body was discovered in 2000 near the beach and no one could identify her. And after seven years, it, it took seven years for them to identify her. But from what I heard from the employees, her spirit was wandering the beach up until the point that her body was identified and laid to rest. I did read that she was a, a single mother she had been estranged from her family for some time which is part of the reason it took them so long to I, to report her missing I don't really I, I don't remember finding information as to what the conclusion was other than they identified her
0: now with all these different hauntings that are going on there do they have stories of people that have died there or because I know at the first one we have that but do they have it at the new one? Because it's only been there since the 80s. And especially with these children, I don't know if we're talking about stuff that might be residual or what.
3: I'm not sure either. I had a hard time finding much of anything it, Almost It at first. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to give you guys enough information about Saltair until I started speaking to some of the employees.
0: And this, basically, they told you with all these yeah. different stories that they're very uncomfortable going into any of the buildings by themselves. So they're obviously having some kind of experience that's frightening to them.
3: Right. I, uh, one of the employees said that he doesn't really like to acknowledge the spirits, and so he doesn't even look at them for very long. Uh, one of my favorite stories that was shared was that the stairs, there's some really beautiful stairs that split. I, you probably saw that picture in there, but he said that those stairs have been brought in from a Salt Lake City hotel. And that he thinks that the spirit that hangs out on those stairs may have come with the stairs.
0: That's interesting. We've heard that a couple of times for locations where it seems it's an actual object or parts of the building, like the wood or something that they've brought over from some other location and used it to rebuild or something. And it seems like the spirits are connected to whatever that building material is, or in this case, a staircase. Right. Wow. How many people, is he the only one who's seen this man's ghost or several of the employees?
3: He's the only one that talked to me. I, I only had two employees to talk to. One told me about the incident with the bathroom and the other about the gentleman on the stairs. But I did. they also mentioned about an employee that had passed on that the medium had had a conversation with. And was able to to deliver a, a message to their family. Out of respect, I won't share any more details than that on that subject. But it, it just seems like a very interesting location, and it I love the the architecture, whether it's the new location or the old. Although the old was much fancier, of the the onion turrets that they have gone with. The new one is basically just one large building, uh, almost one. You've got the main concert hall area. You've got a few employee rooms and rooms for those that are performing, but there's not a whole lot to the current Saltaire. It, it's definitely not a resort or any place that you can check in. Uh, you're just coming there for some specific event or just as a tourist. So probably one of the first infamous folks in the Salt Lake Valley, I think, was a man named Jean Baptiste. He came from Australia. We're not exactly sure if, I I don't think that was his first home, but they're really unsure about when he was born. But he traveled eventually to the Salt Lake Valley, and he lived really close to the Salt Lake City Cemetery, and he became the grave digger. He was the grave digger for about three years. And someone came by to pick up the body of a loved one, and they pulled the the coffin out and and opened it up, and the body was not in a state that it should have been. Uh -uh. It was not clothed, and it was upside down, Uh kind of unceremoniously put back into the coffin. And after some investigation, they discovered that it was because of Jean-Baptiste. He not only stole clothing and jewelry and clean them up for selling to secondhand stores. He was also a necrophiliac.
0: Oh, fabulous. So he's stripping them naked. It's already bad enough that he's stripping them naked. Robbing them. And then he is selling the clothes to the public without them knowing that this came from a dead body. But then he is also having sex with these dead bodies. Did it matter if it was male or female?
3: As far as his necrophiliac tendencies, I'm not sure. As far as his robberies, that was male, female, adult, child. He didn't seem to discriminate.
0: Wow, he was a great guy.
3: Over 300, I think it was over 350 bodies that they found had been affected. So
0: you've got to wonder, because usually the grave digger is not the sextant and not in charge of the cemetery. They're just digging the graves where they're told to dig them. So it's like, who was not paying attention to what this guy's doing out there? Right.
3: First, they tried putting him in jail, but the folks that were in jail with him were very unhappy with him and they were afraid for his safety. So they took him out to Antelope Island, which is, I believe, the biggest island in the Great Salt Lake. Then they decided that wasn't the best place to keep him. So then they moved him to Fremont Island, which both of those islands are pretty close to the Saltair Beach, which is why I'm bringing him up in connection. About two weeks after they put him there, he just disappeared. Some people think he built a raft and escaped. No one's really sure, but it's been said that especially on a full moon night that you can see him wandering the beach looking for redemption.
1: So this wasn't like a prison or anything? They just like basically threw him out on a deserted island or out on the island to fend for himself?
3: They they brought food to him once a week and there was a little shack there. I heard that the shack had been pulled apart so he might have been he might have used that to make himself a raft.
0: That makes sense. So that's probably what he did is he tore apart this ranch or whatever and making a raft to go across the Salt Lake probably didn't work well and he ended up drowning in it and that's probably why he's seen on the shore.
3: Yeah, could have been. These islands aren't completely devoid of life. They used to keep some cows there and, and today if you go to Antelope Island, there are some wild buffalo.
0: Wow. You know, I learned something because I had no idea there were islands in the Great Salt Lake. I mean, I guess it makes sense because it's so big, but I never thought about it.
3: Yeah, it's quite nice. Uh, it's a nice place to visit if you want to see some wildlife, especially in the spring, because you have the birds that come to nest at the Great Salt Lake, and then you can also see the, the buffalo. I really love Utah in the in the spring and summer. I mean, most people think of skiing, but I, I prefer to go hiking or to go enjoy the the
2: wildlife.
0: I wanted to ask you before we let you go, if you're comfortable with this, is when we talk to people who have different religious beliefs, we kind of like to ask in your particular belief that you have what the theories or how they feel about ghosts and spirits and communicating with them or that kind of thing. And since you were with the LDS Church, we were wondering if you would share a little bit about that.
3: Sure. In order to fully explain, I kind of need to explain uh, the pre-existence. I believe you mentioned it in a previous episode uh, that we believe our spirits were created prior to birth and that we had a a big meaning with what we refer to as the host of heaven. And we were given the the plan of mortality and, and how that would lead us towards exaltation. And there was a in terms of opinion basically. Lucifer wanted to force everyone to obey God's law so we would all be saved. And there were about a third of the hosts of heaven that agreed with him. And instead, uh Jesus said to that we should all have the choice, have free will. And Basically, Lucifer and all his followers were kicked out of heaven. And that's probably the closest thing that we have to demons, uh, those evil spirits that followed Lucifer.
0: Interesting, because, you know, in in some of the other Christian beliefs, they believe that it was other fallen angels that happened to be there. So you guys believe that it's some of these pre-existing spirits that went with Satan. Exactly. Can I ask you real quick about that? Because what's interesting is you believe then the spirit comes down when the body is ready here on earth with the ones that have followed Satan. Do they have the opportunity to have a body on earth?
3: No, they don't. And that is one of the reasons that they want us to fail, that they tempt us and try to deceive us into doing things we shouldn't be doing. Miserable like them.
0: It might explain why you have possessions and stuff, too, so that they can feel what it's like to be in a body.
3: Exactly. And then as far as other spirits, I I definitely, uh, we believe in eternal family and eternal marriage is, is possible. And so you can see how the afterlife is, is a big deal for us. And we have family members that can visit us. We, for the afterlife, we, we believe in the immediate afterlife that you either go to paradise if you lived righteously, or to spirit prison, if you lived unrighteously. And we don't have a whole lot of details as to what that might look like, other than the those who go to paradise can administer to those in spirit prison and can also administer to the living.
0: Interesting. So there's, they, there's a way to kind of connect between those two places. It's not like they're completely separated from each other. Right. Interesting.
3: And it's also possible to be so redeemed in spirit prison, although it's more difficult than doing it in this life, but it is possible. And so I I kind of personally wonder, and now I'm kind of going over into some of my personal theory that is not (laughs) religion. I wonder if spirit prison may be here on this earth in some form and if some of the spirits that are in in that state are amongst us and that's why some of them seem like they're trapped in a specific location. Maybe they can't forgive themselves, forgive others, or to get past whatever it is that occurred to them or, or whatnot to, to gain their own forgiveness even.
0: Interesting that you said that because I think was it the interview that we just did with the gentleman that's joining us on the haunted cemeteries this month? We were talking about people being trapped here, and that's one of the things that I've kind of put out there is I don't know that there is an actual you say spirit prison, other people might say hell, and I wonder if that's not what this is. And that's why we have these spirits that are lost here and wandering around and stuck in places because I mean to me that would be hell.
3: Yeah. In our our religion, we also believe that after Christ comes back and and after the the resurrection, that, oh, first of all, everyone's going to get resurrected that has a body. Okay. And then we believe in three levels of heaven, and that very few will be sent to what we call outer darkness, and outer darkness would probably be hell. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And even in the lowest level of heaven, we've been told that it is so amazing that we would want to go there, that it, it is more better than we can even imagine. Again, going back to my own personal belief that's outside of faith, because I have that ability to feel people's emotions even from a great distance and to feel that a vibe I guess you could say from a location even. I, I would not be surprised about that whole like, tape recorder theory that you guys talk about sometimes where mm-hmm. certain locations have this little loop of something that happens. That might not be a spirit. That might be just the environment absorbing a particular event.
0: Yeah, I think there's so much that we don't understand about the world around us. So like you said, I don't know if it's just some kind of energy reflecting back, but it has nothing to do with a particular spirit at all.
3: I I feel like I should share one more story with you. Mm -hmm. My aunt had a heart attack at a fairly young age and she had an afterlife experience. And during that time, while she was outside of her body, she visited several locations in the blink of an eye, several holy locations in our faith. And, She also visited some family members that had passed on, including her daughter that had died at three days old. She also saw her sister who had died at the age of eight and... All of them she saw in an adult form in the prime of their life, uh, like even the, our, her grandmother that had passed away, she saw in the prime of her life. And she said it was beautiful and that it was better than you can imagine. But this all happened in probably less than two or three minutes that she was gone.
0: Wow. It's kind of like when they say your life flashes before your eyes, but hers was the flashing of other people before her eyes.
3: Yeah, except she remembers going and seeing them and and Mm -hmm. hugging them and and that this was the afterlife that she was in for a short amount of time.
0: I love the idea, because I've often wondered, because there's so much that we're not told, whether it's whatever religious text people read, what age are you in the afterlife? Is it just that? That's why sometimes I wonder when we see children's spirits, I get confused with that because not only do I think it doesn't seem fair that they are just left here abandoned since most children you would consider to be innocent. But then I also think in the afterlife, don't they get to grow up? I mean, who wants to be five for the whole afterlife? Just like I wouldn't want to be 80 or 90 in the afterlife either. So I always hope that we're all, you know, basically 20 something.
3: Yeah, I mean, they may be able to choose their forms after, uh, like you've rec- suggested before, but I also, I mean, knowing that she saw her daughter that was only three days old and was able to give her a hug as in the form of an adult.
0: And knew who she was. Yeah. Interesting.
3: Knew exactly who she was.
0: Well, that's a cool story. Well, Angie, thank you so yeah. much for suggesting this location and joining us to talk about it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. You have a great night. You too. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Do all the tragedies that have struck the Saltaire indicate some kind of curse? Have the ghosts from the other Saltaire locations traveled to Saltaire 3? Did a ghost travel to Saltaire 3 with the staircase from downtown Salt Lake City? Has the energy from the past imprinted itself here? Is Saltaire and the surrounding area haunted? That is for you to decide.
0: What's so strange to me is that we have supposedly these spirits hanging around here. And we all know that salt is usually used as something that's for cleansing, especially of bad energy. So it's just weird that you would be near this huge body of salt water and that you could have these hauntings going on there. But I guess anything's possible. And this is, I think she said, about two miles away now from the actual lake. So
1: Well, and just like humans, I think some of the spirits and ghosts can have a little bit of a salty personality. Oh, Denise.
0: (laughs) We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do
1: that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We did get an email
0: from Jen. says, hello, Diane and Denise. I wanted to let you know that I really enjoyed your episode on the creepy legends of Sabah. I don't live in Malaysia anymore, so I don't often get to revisit the stories I heard growing up. Thanks for the trip down memory lane. Malaysia has many legends and creepy stories that I hope you can do more episodes on. Besides Pontianic, Langasur, and the like, there are creepy stories like Bujang Sanang, a supposedly magical man-eating crocodile that prowls the rivers of Sarawak. Oh great, a man-eating crocodile that's magical? That sounds terrifying. The Karak Highway, said to be haunted by a driverless yellow Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, Denise, there's one of your favorite cars right there, and it's haunted. (laughs) So it's like Christine Gun Hippie. and St. Michael's Institution, a school that was once the headquarters of the Japanese secret police where people have seen severed heads hung from trees and a headless Catholic priest reciting the rosary. Oh my gosh, you don't get any creepier than a headless Catholic priest. Well, you know, that story is similar to what the girls told us at the school that they went to, that they saw severed heads in the tree. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for writing us. And we got a lot of good feedback on that. So apparently everybody loved hearing about the legends in Malaysia, especially from the girls themselves. It was a lot of fun putting that out there.
1: Time for a road trip. Road trip to Malaysia? Well, so we'd have to ship the camper and then a road trip. (laughs) Great. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be camping in Malaysia,
0: especially if there's a man-eating magical (laughs) crocodile.
1: We also heard from Taylor and the Spooktacular crew about the Whaley House. OMG, 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 y'all. I just went on the craziest haunted tour in San Diego. There were experiences all over the place. First, my phone wouldn't recognize my fingerprint to unlock. That's never happened before. Almost everyone around me caught orbs and pictures. A girl next to me saw floating blue lights. A woman saw a full apparition of the Whaley family's house cat. A few women felt pressure on their chest. Best tour ever.
0: We have got to get out to the Whaley house when we go out to California for sure.
1: Yes, we definitely do. So we're looking probably within the next couple years, (laughs) (laughs) y'all.
0: We also got an email from Tony. We want to thank you for sending that to us, Tony. And then Katrina commented in the Spectacular Crew about a dream she had. Last week, I had a dream that I was changing the oil in my car and the jack failed. And as the car was falling down on top of me, I woke up. My mother called me this morning to tell me that her cousin died yesterday. A car jack failed and he got crushed under a car.
1: Oh, wow. That is crazy.
0: I didn't know him, so don't feel like I need condolences, please. But oh my God, how weird, right? And I thought, wow, that sounds like a premonition dream to me because to have a dream like that, period, is kind of weird. But then to have it actually be somebody that's in your family and that's exactly how he died, because... That's kind of a weird way to die. Not many people get crushed under a car because
1: a car jack fails. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's not something that's just a common occurrence that happens. So that is very, very much.
0: Well, not only did we want to share this just because that was kind of weird, but then we had some of our other crew members jump in and talk about similar dreams that they had had. Jason said, yeah, I had a weird similar situation many years ago when I was in high school. I had a dream that my life was falling apart and I shot myself. God, I can't imagine. That's a horrible dream. On my way home from school, my neighbor's mom stopped me to let me know that her son, who I was friends with, had committed suicide the night before with a gun. Oh, geez. Wow. Yes. I mean, and and how weird because it it obviously was a neighbor and they were friends. But to have that kind of a dream that was connected. Lisa commented, 20 years or so ago, I told a close online friend of mine that I dreamed I went to visit him and his wife answered the door and she was pregnant. I'd never met his wife. He called me two days later to tell me she just told him she was pregnant. So technically he quote unquote knew before she did. (laughs) I just want these people to give us the lotto numbers. That's all I'm asking for.
1: Yeah. And we don't even need the big win. You know, a couple mil would be perfect. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I'm telling you, if we win the big one, everybody's going on a cruise with us. Yeah.
1: History goes bump cruise.
0: So put your minds together and get those numbers. Susan commented, this was my experience in 10th grade. I had a dream that my mother drove me to school. We reached a particular corner immediately before turning left for the school. Right before we turned, we were hit from behind. The right front wheel cover came off, hitting an oak tree. Two people got out of the car, a brother and sister who also attended the school. The next morning, after I woke up and had breakfast, mom drove me to school. Immediately before we turned left, a car hit us from behind. All details, including the brother and sister, were the same as in my dream. Can't explain it to this day.
1: Wow, that's definitely a premonition.
0: May commented, and these are just people who are in our crew. <laughs> wow, just blows my mind. Years ago, I helped give tours of an old prison that was closed. I dreamed that my brother was a ghost in the prison. I told him that he didn't belong there and he could not be a ghost because he was still alive. He looked at me with such a sad look. Two days later, I got a phone call that my 36-year-old brother had a massive heart attack. He had actually gone into cardiac arrest but was revived. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I believe. So thank God he didn't die. But how weird that she had a dream that he was a ghost and then
1: he has a heart attack. Oh, geez, that would be so frightening. And finally, Gina
0: commented, I have had that happen where I have a dream. In my dream, I saw myself and my dad in a hospital room crying, but I could not see who was in the hospital bed. The next day, my grandpa passed away and me, my dad and family were all at the hospital crying over grandpa just amazing. Thank you for sharing all of those in there. And so I thought I would share them with our listenership as well.
1: Yeah, thank you for for sharing those. You those are so personal. It's really neat to have you open enough to let us read those. But the other thing is, it just makes me grateful that I don't remember my dreams very much.
0: (laughs) Also want to point you guys at another new podcast out there that might be up your alleys. It's called Oddballs. And it's about oddities and mysteries and weird stuff. So it's kind of like our moment oddity only expanded out more. And I love that it's hosted by two women who just got married to each
1: other, Denise. Oh, that's super cool.
0: We have a couple of reviews from Apple Podcasts. The first one is from Wormy McWormface. Love that username. Great show, five stars. This is one of my favorite podcasts. It's well-researched and always fun to listen to. I'd love to hear some more episodes about West Virginia hauntings, though. Food for thought. Well, you're right. We have I think we've only done one and that was the Low Hotel. And then we included the Mothman in with that one. So I think that's all we've done in West Virginia. So you know what? I have looked up some more on that. And I believe I have one coming up. If not in December and January we do. V Mommy X four. Thanks, friends. Five stars. You clean house, sew, crochet, and keep me company on long drives. Love. I love to travel and I enjoy hearing of your travels. Keep up the excellent podcast. Well, thank you. I'm glad we're doing all the tours with you. And then Denise, very exciting. We got our first review from Indonesia. Oh, super cool. Very excited. This is from HB1337, a very interesting listen, five stars. These two ladies are a lot of fun to listen to. Also very informative, a recommended podcast. Well, thank you for leaving that. We get so excited when we hear from those of you who are in other countries, especially when it's a new one for us. We want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers.
2: Thanks. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.